0: This is Righteous or Evasive, our new podcast centered around the use of plea bargains.
1: I'm Gregory Hall. And I'm Lucy Russell. Our third and final episode will explore white privilege and analyze why athletes receive special treatment. We will look at two specific cases that demonstrate how plea bargains are affecting these instances. The John Enox rape case and a drug case involving former NFL running back Jamal Lewis. All of this and more in today's episode of righteous or evasive. John Enox, a former business student at IU, now a suspect in two rape cases. Because it happened on your campus, so it makes you think about it a lot more.
0: Yes, these two crimes involving John Enox happened within about a year and a half time span. Why that supposedly lenient sentence was handed down.
1: Prosecutors also point out that John Enox pled guilty to felony battery, but for some reason the court entered it as a misdemeanor, we're working to get in touch with the judge on the case to find out why that happened. White privilege refers to the benefits white people get from society that people of color don't. It's really
0: hard to miss or to think that it doesn't exist, right? Do you think
1: white privilege exists? Definitely. It's basically um, a ticket to anything that everybody else is excluded from because of your skin color. I mean, enough is enough. It's just, it's, it's out of control. And unfortunately, the only way we see that we're going to get change and protect other girls is to file a civil lawsuit. John Enox is a former student at the University of Indiana. He is a white male, which will be crucial information later in the episode. In September of 2015, he was accused of two separate counts of rape that allegedly occurred in 2013 and 2015.
0: Now, there was security video footage of the 2015 incident found which proves Enoch was on the scene and there were obvious signs of sexual misconduct on the young woman according to the facts of the case. This 2015 incident led prosecutors to investigate deeper into the 2013 incident. Looking more in depth at the 2013 incident, DNA matches and witness statements allowed prosecutors to hone in on proving Enoch as the perpetrator. Both of these alleged incidents, I'm putting alleged in quotations as I say that, put marks on Enoch's.
1: At first glance, it was almost too easy for the court to prove him guilty. But as the case progressed, the 2013 incident was dropped and the 2015 incident fell down to a level six felony offense of battery. There's evidence of John Enoch's on site of both incidents, yet one was dropped and the other fell all the way down to a mere felony. But that isn't all.
0: Enox reached, yeah you guessed it, a plea bargain with the court. He pleaded guilty to the felony and then the court dropped it even further to a misdemeanor. This kid was first accused of raping these two women then proof was found on both such cases that made prosecutors look even further into the perpetrator being Enox and it ended up with one case being completely dropped and the other being reduced all the way to a misdemeanor. Oh and the best part about him pleading guilty is that someone who could be a sexual assailant is missing jail time completely, completely. His sentence was one year probation only.
1: Let's not cut the guy short now. He did spend one day in jail when he turned himself in after being accused, but then was released on bail. Poor kid, possible sexual assailant spending a night in jail. This sentence is seen unfair by many. Knox’s attorney discussed why the sentence was what it was. The prosecutor stated that there wasn't sufficient evidence to prove that either case was rape. It also noted that with the 2013 incident, the girl waiting two years to come clean made it so that her knowledge of the event was hindered and therefore wasn't 100% reliable. This girl, who experienced an incredibly traumatic experience, has to live with that day for the rest of her life and John Enox only got one day of jail that he volunteered for. Essentially, there wasn't enough for prosecutors to sentence Enox with sexual assault and forced rape. There were photos that came up that contradicted some of the girl's statements. She claimed she was unaware of the sexual act, but in photos it seems otherwise, which is how the forced rape charge was dropped.
0: Now, the evidence is everything to prosecutors, of course it is. Anyone who follows law or court cases knows that the facts are everything and that's what they have to go off of. That doesn't explain for why the felony charge of battery was lowered further to a misdemeanor. A level six felony for battery, which is what the charge was when Enochs pleaded guilty, is A, the lowest felony there is in the state of Indiana, and B, the sentence ranges from six months to two and a half years in prison with an advisory or probation period of one year. Now these punishments were put into effect recently, July 1st of 2014. Under Indiana state law, a level six felony can be reduced to a misdemeanor if there's a plea agreement with the court. Now you might be saying, oh, so if it makes sense that it got reduced to a misdemeanor. But this particular case should have never been reduced. The only offenses that can be reduced to a misdemeanor are theft, operating a vehicle intoxicated, drug possession, and maintaining a common nuisance. Battery is not one of those offenses. So once again, how and why did all of a sudden the charge be reduced even further once John Enoch pleaded guilty? We'll tell you why, white privilege.
1: The Brock Turner case, which we explored in the last episode, blew up all over the news and social media for the sentence he received and the reasoning the judge gave. In the John Enoch's case, social media also blew up over the BS of it all, but prosecutors and Enoch's defense attorney are both quick to say that this case is nothing like the Brock Turner case. Their reasoning behind that is that Brock Turner was sentenced to jail time and he was proven guilty of sexual assault. John Enoch's was not. But that is, once again, just looking at the facts of the case that are seen as weak. And it does compare to the Brock Turner case. Both were accused of sexual assault. Both were white male college students. And most importantly, pertaining to this podcast, both reached plea bargains that lowered their sentences extremely.
0: In the John Enoch's case, the only people who actually know what happened are John Enoch and the two victims. But this type of case, having the sentence being lowered all the way to no jail time, isn't the first time this has happened. White privilege is something commonly brought up in society today and when it deals with sexual assault, it's an extremely large problem. Victims of sexual assault who are afraid of coming out and reliving that traumatic experience are compelled even more to keep quiet because to them it seems pointless. The guy can just plead guilty and reach a bargain with the court and get off with little to no punishment.
1: The plea bargain is the cause of it all. The Indiana state law that allows level 6 felonies to be reduced to misdemeanors if the perpetrator reaches a plea deal can be justifiable under a small charge. As we said before, battery is not one of these charges that can be reduced to a misdemeanor under that law, which is where the white privilege comes to play.
0: It's almost as if that the fact that a white male college student pleaded guilty to the charge of battery made the judge in court go, ah, he's owning up to his mistake and accepts that he did it, yada, yada, yada. It's complete bullshit. I understand after looking at all the evidence, lowering it to a battery charge is most likely the best they could do, and that could have put Enoch's in jail for up to two and a half years.
1: Exactly, it's probably the best they could do. But then they had to lower it even further to barely punish this guy at all. Plea bargains should not be a part of sexual assault cases. They just shouldn't be. Yes, the assailant confessed up to the crimes, but that shouldn't influence the sentence. He left both of those victims to live with that day for the rest of their lives. And the worst part was that according to the law, the plea bargain for batteries should have never been reduced. It's almost too obvious that the lowered sentence was because of his skin color.
0: But it isn't just skin color that can get criminals off easy. Jamal Lewis was a running back for the Baltimore Ravens at both the time of the alleged incident and the time of his trial. During the trial, he was 24 years of age and a star for the Baltimore Ravens, arguably their best player and arguably one of the best running backs in the game. The 2003 season, which was the season before his trial, he was the Pro Football Writers of America MVP. Now for your football fans, this is separate from the actual MVP award but it's still significant. In that pseudo-MVP season, he rushed for 2,066 yards, which at the time was the second most rushing yards ever in a single season. Now it's third. So to the Ravens and to the NFL, he was a valuable asset to the team
1: and to the game. Jamal Lewis was charged with conspiring to possess with the intent to distribute 5 kilograms of cocaine and using a cell phone in the commission of the first count. What happened was that from June 23rd to July 19th, 2000, Jamal Lewis and his friend Angelo Jackson were caught up in a drug trafficking ring in Atlanta, Georgia, that the FBI had been investigating. There was an undercover cop from the Bureau who recorded their conversation with the two men. The extent of the phone call was that Lewis and Jackson were going to buy cocaine from the source, who was the undercover cop, and had the intent to resell it. The amount was five kilograms. This investigation by the FBI was quite a large one that was handled by their high-intensity drug trafficking task force and included 30 convictions. Cell phone audio recordings and undercover meetings definitely hurt Jamal Lewis's case.
0: His lawyer, Ed Garland, who also was Ray Lewis's lawyer during his murder trial, constantly said that Jamal was not guilty and never participated in buying any drugs but there were audio recordings of Jamal on the phone with the undercover source that have him saying yeah to buying the drugs. According to the affidavit for the case, drugs were never bought, which is why the charge is conspiring to possess. Now you might be asking why the sentence is so extreme if he never actually had the drug in his possession. That's because it was part of that much larger drug trafficking ring and they had the intent, supposedly, to sell the five kilos of cocaine a whole lot of cocaine.
1: Here's a quick recap of the facts. Jamal Lewis, a top NFL running back for the Baltimore Ravens, was charged with conspiring to possess and having the intent to sell five kilograms of cocaine and used a cell phone in the commission of the first account. It was part of a much larger drug trafficking ring that the FBI has made 30 convictions from. There are cell phone recordings and witnesses of undercover meetings of Jamal, yet Jamal's lawyer constantly states that he took no part in this drug trafficking ring. So that's the case summed up. There's proof of Jamal being a part of it, but his lawyer denies all of it. February 26, 2004 rolls around, and Jamal Lewis turns himself in and, duh, reached a plea bargain with the federal prosecutors. They agreed to drop the drug conspiracy and attempting at possessing cocaine.
0: So what exactly did Jamal plead guilty to? He pleaded guilty to the charge of using a cell phone to help a childhood friend, Angelo Jackson, facilitate the drug deal. After the multi-year investigation into Lewis and the drug trafficking, the federal prosecutors had evidence to put Lewis into jail potentially for a minimum of 10 years, but feared in trial that they would lose. Why would they lose if they have the proof? A couple of reasons, probably. One, maybe they thought the evidence was too weak and the judge and or jury wouldn't go for it. Or two, they feared the jury and or judge wouldn't find Lewis guilty because he's a star NFL running back and it would end his career. I mean, 10 years in prison is probably going to end this man's career. Essentially, athletes being affluent is the reason. This kid has set the single game record for rushing yards and had the second most rushing yards, now third, in a single season of all time. Him being in jail for 10 plus years would almost surely end his career, which would hurt the Baltimore Ravens franchise and turn around and hurt the NFL because they could be losing one of the best running backs of all time.
1: Now, why does losing potentially one of the best running backs matter to the NFL? Because of money. Cash. dough. The federal prosecutors were scared they would lose. That's why they accepted a plea deal with Mr. Lewis, just like the John Enox case. No way a judge would put Enox away in jail for years, and no way a judge would put one of the best running backs in the NFL in jail in permanently in his career. The judge said, and this is a direct quote, I think Mr. Lewis gets some credit for stepping up to the bar and taking responsibility for his actions and admitting guilt. The FBI just wanted some sort of guilty plea from Lewis so they could get another conviction. So, Lewis's actual sentence, instead of 10 years to life, was a mere four months. He was also fined $20,000, which is petty change considering his almost $6 million a year contract he signed in 2000, must live in a halfway house for two months, undergo one year probation with random drug tests and searches, must do 500 hours of community service. So, essentially, a 10-year-to-life sentence was brought down to a bunch of annoying sentences that will just be nuisances in Mr. Lewis's life. The best part about the timing of the sentence is that he'll be done with the four months in prison and two months in the halfway house by August, just in time for preseason workouts.
0: What a coincidence, right? Of course not. The sentence was reduced from a career-ending one to a sentence that wouldn't inhibit his playing career one bit, all because of a plea bargain to save his career and to give the government a conviction, which is essentially all they wanted. Add another conviction to their total for the drug trafficking ring. 30 became 31. Athletes with their stardom and fame get this kind of treatment all the time, and a plea bargain here made it even worse. Had it gone to trial, who knows what the outcome would have been, but the plea bargain definitely made it easy for the court.
1: Both of the cases we talked about in this episode, the John Enoch's case and the Jamal Lewis case, portray affluence in our society and how plea bargains got them a lesser sentence than they should have received. Yes, plea bargains can be good for the court system to save money for pointless trials, but they can also be perpetrators evading a sentence that they deserve.
0: This is our final episode of Righteous or Evasive. We wanted to thank everyone who took the time to listen, and we hope you enjoyed listening. Now it's up to you to decide whether plea bargains are righteous or evasive.